Coffee and Chromosomes is brought to you by the charity Wouldn't Change a Thing, creating a world where negative perceptions of Down syndrome are a thing of the past. If you would like to hear more about a certain topic or even from a particular individual, then please get in touch with us. Email us at podcast at wouldn'tchangeathing.org and we'll do our best to try and make it happen. and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Chromosomes. Today we welcome Gabby Jarkamin, founder and director of The Conscious Pod. Gabby began consulting as a naturopath in 2000 and specializes in treating people with Down syndrome. She is a member of the Trisomy 21 Research Scientific Advisory Committee in the USA and contributes research to the global Down syndrome community as part of this. You may have read some of her many articles on gut health and the biochemistry of people with Down syndrome, or even been lucky enough to get a Skype consultation with her. Gabby also has a blog, a Facebook group for parents, where she happily posts and discusses therapies relevant to Down syndrome. Not to mention that she also has two children and is a busy mother to two young girls, one of whom has Down syndrome. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you so much for joining us. And I should probably say good morning to you because you're joining us from sunny Australia um, just about before we go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking you guys are putting your kids to bed and mine are still in bed. They haven't actually got out of bed yet. So I'm hoping that they don't rush in here. Bless him. Um, yeah, and you have to forgive me because yeah, I have an awful habit of slipping into uh, the accent of people that I'm talking to. So uh, for, for all the listeners that um, might have heard us before on podcast, if I sound a bit different, this is why. And that was like being really mean. <laughs> That's really sweet. I think it's probably your way of, voices of me sure. You know, you're trying to make me feel comfortable. So that's really sweet. <laughs> Thank you. But I actually love your accent, so don't change it. <laughs> Too much. Right. So, Gabby, you're the first naturopath in Australia to specifically specialise in treating people with Down syndrome. Now, tell us what is a naturopath? How did you get into this and and where did it all begin? That's a really good question. (laughs) So, I mean, to keep it brief, when I was a teenager, my family were not the most health conscious family on the block. You know, I had a mum that was very bookish and loved eating chocolates. So I grew up in a household where health was not a priority. And, you know, when I got to the age of 16, 17, I wanted to find out how to to keep myself healthy. I didn't feel optimally healthy. I was, you know, I had bad skin. I wasn't, I didn't have a great diet. I was obviously a bit vulnerable because I was a teenager and I just um, wanted to learn more about how to keep myself healthy and I didn't study natural medicine straight after I finished school. I actually studied design and advertising, (laughs) surprisingly. But then it wasn't long after that that I took a holiday up to far north Queensland, discovered that there were some young people there running organic fruit and vegetable shops. And this was back in 1994. So this was 30 years ago. And I was totally fascinated. You know, where I came from in Canberra was a pretty conservative sort of city. And you would never see someone in their 20s at a market store selling organic fruit and vegetables. And of course, 30 years ago, it wasn't even popular to eat organic fruit and vegetables. And I remember going into a shop, an organic shop, and seeing a book on naturopathy. And I picked it up and looked at the book. I was about probably my early 20s and I went that's what I want to do 
So that was 30 years ago and uh, I haven't looked back. I really started studying straight away in my early 20s. Back then, nobody even knew what a naturopath was. Not really. It was very sort of you know, unheard of uh, and people didn't know what organic food was. So, uh, but I was completely fascinated by it and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I took a few years off in my early 20s to travel because I sort of thought, oh, are people really going to take me seriously at the age of 22? You know, if I'm if I'm advising them on how to get through menopause or, you know, all these things that you sort of need a bit of life experience for. But then when I was 27, I knuckled down and finished my first course. And then that led to a, doing a Bachelor of Health Science. And then that led to a Master's of Clinical Science in Complementary Medicine. And by the time I finished that, which took me seven years, wow. um, I had Suri. Suri was born. So, I mean, to answer your question, naturopaths and, in fact, the a more common name for a naturopath today, or a lot of naturopaths today identi- identify themselves as functional medicine practitioners, which really just means that rather than looking at a disease and prescribing a, a medication, we are we are more interested in looking at what's driving the disease process in the first place. Okay. Okay, so if you go to a conventional doctor and they say your blood sugars are elevated, you've got diabetes, here's a drug medication, that's how they'll treat you. If you come to a naturopath, and we see your blood sugars are elevated, we're going to start asking questions. Right. Yeah. You know, do you have stress in your life? Let's do a stool test and see what's going on in your gut. Let's look at your mineral levels and see what your chromium levels are like. Let's find out if you've got any heavy metals, you know, lingering in your hair tissue that may be putting stress on your blood sugar response. So let's look at your genetics to see if your genes are predisposing you more to diabetes. So we are doing, we're going to get to the root cause of why you've got this problem in the first place because 10 people could have diabetes but all with different causes and all with completely different genetics and completely different things going on in their body so we are really trying hard to find the root cause and then treat the root cause to heal the body okay just going back when you thought to go to try to be more healthy and so i suppose how much from there were you also thinking about sort of the prevention versus trying to cure right so i'd imagine like that kind of healthy lifestyle was more about trying to prevent kind of any issues occurring how much do you play that into some of the work that you do now oh 100% there's no doubt that when you treat someone with down syndrome or anybody you're not just looking at genetics you're looking at what's called epigenetics which is all the lifestyle diet environmental factors that affect our genes so it's well known in the scientific community today that we all, we're all born with a set of genes which are passed on from our parents, but we can change the way those genes are expressing themselves if we have a healthy diet, if we exercise, if we take nutritional supplements and if we check for imbalances regularly and try to balance out these yeah. you know, imbalances in our body. So that pre- prevention is huge, but that's a really interesting question because before you know, maybe the year 2000, prevention was or epigenetics weren't considered to have an impact on the health and development of people with Down syndrome. Okay. So in other words, you know, right through the 1900s, people thought you were born with Down syndrome and that was it. You were stuck with that set of genes and that, you know, um, prognosis or the or the development you know your your sort of whole trajectory was mapped out and there was nothing you could do to change that but that has all been turned on its head in the last 20 years thanks to research and thanks to you know a very 
an understanding of the whole genome now and how our genes work yeah. with various scientists and people around the world. So given that someone with Down syndrome has three copies of chromosome 21, I'm assuming then treating someone with Down syndrome would be different because there's different balances that come into play. Is that right? Absolutely right. And that was the hardest part for me when I first had a child with Down syndrome and decided I wanted to specialise in Down syndrome was I really had to relearn everything that I had been studying for 20 years, you know, because everything that applied to typical people all of a sudden didn't apply to people with Down syndrome. And it was it was a chaotic time for me because I had to completely shift my whole paradigm of thinking yeah. in a completely different way. Yeah. But now, of course, I'm so, you know, realigned with the <laughs> extra chromosome, it's easy for me. But initially it was very, it's very difficult, yes, for all practitioners, I think, to do that. We're not treating typical people. I mean, we obviously do see a lot of health-related challenges in young people with Down syndrome. You know, we're told that because of the extra chromosome, they're more predisposed to certain conditions. They're more, you know, the immune system works differently. And we, we were just always led to believe that just because of Kush's genetic makeup, he would um, be impacted differently health-wise. Now, I guess we believe that that is true because of the extra chromosome. But are you saying that we should challenge more and that we shouldn't just be stuck with that? And actually, we can be treating this and helping him? be healthier and, and live a better, like, healthier life? 100%. And, you know, the proof really is in the case studies. If you go, you know, there are a few Facebook groups that are aligned with natural supplements and nutritional supplements. And you rarely, you, I mean, you can see from the comments from parents in the groups that their children are overcoming those health issues when they when they start taking the supplement or after a period of time on the supplement. So, for example, you know, it's, considered that you know normal for a young child with Down syndrome to have a poor immune system and to be constantly sort of getting sick with colds and flus and pneumonia and all the rest but that doesn't have to be the case and if you were to support your child's genetics that wouldn't be the outcome you would you could have a child that gets through the first 10 years of life with virtually a sniffle right. and I can say that with confidence because my own daughter has been the case study for me yeah she's the and is that literally through supplements and things like that that you've used? Yes, the combination of addressing the genetics and making sure that she has a really healthy diet and lifestyle and, you know, that her environment is clean. So, again, it comes back to that combination of supporting the genetics and then doing and the epigenetics as well, Keep making sure that they're doing all the right things in terms of their diet. And tell us just about the research, because what I find fascinating is, again, when you go back to kind of the early stages, back to 92, or to versus to where we are right now, even like generally speaking, you know, we've got the kind of big trend, I'll call it a trend, I think it's here to stay, veganism, and the potential health impact and positive health benefits that come with that, on the basis of research that we've all seen now, Clearly also with the Down syndrome community, the amount of research that's happening in terms of things like early intervention, things like therapies that we could be using and doing now to help with their kind of uh, longer term outlook, all of that's coming through right now, as well as kind of nutrition. How much of all of that does plays into kind of the research that you've done to get to kind of where we are right now? Yeah, 
It's a great question. So I work with obviously the TNI protocol, which is which stands for Target of Nutritional Intervention, and that was put together by Dixie and her and the group of scientists in the US over around 30 years ago. That all started, and and what I discovered having worked with Dixie for many years is that that is purely based on the research. So none of that is kind of somebody going, oh, I think we might add a bit of this, we might add a sprinkle of this, and we might let's check out a bit of this. They've actually just sifted through piles and piles of research that have that's been and clinical trials that have been done on people with Down syndrome or on mouse models, and then have you know looked at the outcomes and said, okay, well we know this is going on, so let's use this as an intervention. So. The TNI protocol itself is 100% research-based. Yeah. And that's how, you know, I can sort of sit here confidently and say that there's really solid research behind it. It's not voodoo. It's not made up. <laughs> it's it's looking at other people doing the research and compiling all that. So, it's, you know, there's a, there's a third party involved. Yeah. Um, With TNI, so I guess that we actually followed the TNI protocol from when Kush was quite young, didn't we? Because... Uh, and that was my kind of first exposure to kind of biochemistry. And, you know, I, I read a lot and I watched a lot of videos that were on YouTube and I tried to really get into the science of it. And I'm not, I mean, I was never great at science at school, but um, it is fascinating. And I would urge anyone listening to look this up because it makes perfect sense when you think about it. It's just your brain wouldn't naturally go there to think about it. You're just set, you're told this is your child's got Down syndrome, you've got uh, an additional chromosome, this is what happens, kind of deal with it, medicate. But actually, when you do strip it all back, it makes perfect sense. So Kush, when he was 16 weeks, he uh, got infantile spasms, which is the infant form of epilepsy. And the amount of drugs that he was put on anti-epileptic drugs, et cetera, et cetera, steroids, you know, from, and from 16 weeks old, it really broke my heart. And that's when I started reading, but well, what, what else can we do? All the drugs weren't working. He was pretty much numbed. We had this little boy and he was just suddenly like really numbed and through all the drugs. And I thought, well, this, this can't be the answer. This can't be it. And that's when I kind of came across Dixie and, and her forum and, and TNI. And we keep doing that. Uh, we do follow it sometimes inconsistently, but, but you know, we do try because actually it's quite hard to get hold of the, the supplement here. I have to import it from, from America. But um, tell us more about TNI, the fact that it is a well-supported program, because I think over here that, you know, no one really talks about it. There is a worry about the supplements that you're giving your child and what's in it and why and how can I just give my child this drug that my doctor might be like, well, what are you doing? What is it? Tell us about that because I actually think it is great and I really do think it has supported Kush. So, yeah, tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, basically, I mean, the whole concept of targeted nutritional intervention, you know, that, that sort of phrase was coined about 30 years ago. Uh, and it really just means that you are looking at a, a subgroup of people in the population with the same genetic, genetic profile and you are creating a supplement which is going to address that similarity or those similar genetics but only for that subgroup so this is known as nutrigenomics it's nutrition that fits the gene the genome or the genetics of a certain specific group in the population that we know have similar a similar genetic profile and this is not just 
for people with Down syndrome, nutrigenomics can be used for any sort of disease or syndrome where, where the subset of people have the similar genetics. But, you know, in our case, we'll talk about Down syndrome. So it started uh, with the Nutrivene Daily Supplements. Back in the 90s, I guess, there wasn't a lot of research on, you know, the genetics of people with Down syndrome because it wasn't until the year 2000 that the human genome was fully mapped. And that's when things really started to take off in terms of Down syndrome research. Right. So prior to 2000, you know, Dixie was around. She had a daughter with Down syndrome. She was a well-known biochemist in the US. She had lots of good contacts. Yep. And they knew a few things about Down syndrome biochemistry. They knew that, you know, a couple of the genes that were sitting on chromosome 21 were causing problems and they had an idea of how to address that. But at some, you know, in some ways it was... There was not a lot of established research at that point. So in some ways they were, you know, hoping that what they were doing was correct. Yeah. And what's interesting is that now in hindsight, you know, she can look back and say, well, we did the right thing because this has endured since then. So really, like as I said, 2000, you know, we have the human genome mapped. And this was huge because we we finally knew exactly which genes were sitting on chromosome 21. In fact, it was one of the very first genes to be mapped because it's one of the smallest and that's why people with Down syndrome survive because chromosome 21 is the second smallest gene, I believe, of the chromosome, sorry. So it only contains 329 genes and majority of those genes are not active. There's only a couple of specific genes or maybe half a dozen that are active uh, and there are other things as well, microRNAs, but that are actively causing problems in the biochemistry. So basically what happened after 2000 was we do see more research going into Down syndrome genetics because we suddenly know what, you know, genes are on chromosome 21, which yeah. ones we're starting to characterise those genes. So globally, all of these genes now are starting to be characterised, which means we're starting to learn more about how they work in the body. And as we learn more about how they work, we learn more about how having an extra dose of these, of these genes is causing issues. Yeah. So really, I mean, I look back on the research, it's only been in the last five to ten years that there's been what you could say an explosion of research into nutrigenomics or plants and nutrients that are, you know, addressing the biochemistry of Down syndrome. It's really very much in its, it's still in its, in its cutting edge, you know. I mean, in 2016, which is only six years ago, uh, there was a, a report published in The Lancet saying, you know, that the bio, uh, research into Down syndrome was at the forefront of biomedical science with the potential for treatment. Right. So the top medical journal in the world is saying we can treat people with Down syndrome. This is not a benign condition. Yeah. Anyway, to answer your question, it's, it's so exciting because yeah. that only was only published six years ago. <laughs> that is so exciting because I think lots of the time we've spoken about early intervention and how much of a profound impact early intervention has had on so many children with Down syndrome and their, their outlook for life. Mm. And that's something that really only came into play over the last 10 to 15 years. Mm. You know, prior to that, actually, most children, you didn't do anything with. And it's almost like, well, let's hope for the best. And it also accepts the kind of negative diagnosis that the doctors had. Yeah. And that is exciting. You know, we really, though, didn't think about from a nutritional standpoint, yeah. uh, gut health, you know, there's not really been anything on that whatsoever. And so I'll be honest with you, like from my perspective, I've previously been 
of the view of like kind of uh, typical medicine routes, etc. But yeah, when I, when I started the Nutrivine, he was like, "What? What are you? What is this? What are you doing?" I was like, "No." <laughs> yeah, and I think for me though, what I'm open to 100% is recognizing that we're in the infancy there is so little that we know as you say it's only recently that the whole genome has been able to be mapped and that in of itself is absolutely incredible and it's it's true what you said as well before right like if your child you know don't support your child's health gut health we all know how important gut health is for anyone then what what good is you know, speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, when actually the core things you need to be supporting, which you can support so early on, is gut health. Absolutely. And and that brings me to the point that, you know, the majority of, you know, the, the, the major side effect of this extra chromosome is having an impact on the brain, preventing the neurons from forming. It's causing inflammation. You know, these genes, excess genes are causing inflammation in the brain. They're preventing neurons from being formed. They're preventing the brain from functioning efficiently. Why would you give a child 10 years of speech therapy when their brain is not able to even uh, understand what's going on or, or or even have memory for those words? Yeah. You know, it just makes so much sense to go back to the root cause and treat that first. And that's why, I mean, I rarely even have to talk about genetics in my clinical consultations because that's already been done. The whole TNI protocol has already been put together and so all I have to do is make sure people are using it and they know, you know how to dose it and then I move on and do all the epigenetic side of things. Yeah. It's like all the hard work's been done for us in terms of regulating the genetics and then we can get on with, you know, speech therapy and yeah. occupational therapy and, and having fun with our kids and, and letting them enjoy life. Exactly. <laughs> so talking about like treating it, so is that in effect... Should we be suppressing this extra chromosome? Well, that's what we're doing in some cases. So if you think that there's 329 extra genes in our child's body, the majority of those are not active. So we don't really have a case where we've got 300 genes all expressing themselves. We have, like I said, half a dozen to a dozen that are well characterised that we know are expressing themselves in a, in a way that's not compatible with you know, having 46 chromosomes or not helping the biochemistry. In some instances, we are suppressing and inhibiting those genes. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we can't. We don't have a known substance to suppress some of those genes. So in that case, we're working to make sure the body has enough cofactors or ingredients to cope with the effect, the side effects of that gene. So without getting too technical, there is a gene called DYRK1A. It is sitting on chromosome 21. It is active in our children's bodies. And what it does basically is it causes problems with bone growth and skeletal growth. It can it, it is linked to Alzheimer's. It causes problems with motor coordination, reflex development, fine motor skills, and there is a link with leukemia as well. Okay. So, in about the uh, late about two thousand seven, I think it was a. a scientist uh, or academic in Spain called De La Torre started doing studies on using green tea to actually block the what's called the transcription of this gene so where basically block the activity of this gene in the body and he was successful so what he discovered was like the key that fit into the lock to block this gene from expressing itself 
of all the substances you could have looked at in the whole entire world, green tea was the one that blocked this gene. And what he discovered was that it improved the cognition of people with Down syndrome. Yeah. And what he went on and did was he then gave them green tea and he gave them environmental enrichment like therapy to see if that enhanced their cognition even more. And it did. So this was really quite groundbreaking because, you know, when you think about it, this green tea is actually helping our children to become more, improve their cognition and memory. It's improving their bone growth. And actually there's quite a few published studies looking at the craniofacial features of people with Down syndrome improving when they've had green tea. Published research, you know. It's also, you know, a preventative for Alzheimer's. And, you know, since then, we've discovered it's also supporting their mitochondria, which is their energy, you know, uh, battery, evil batteries inside their cells that are producing energy, which is massive. It's huge. Yeah. And, and supporting many other biochemical pathways in the body. And also motor coordination, fine motor skills, reflex. Yeah. So it's crucial to have your kids on green tea. There's a specific dose. It has to be good quality. You know, he was very... He did a lot of research into how much to give. Too much green tea was not beneficial. Too little green tea was not beneficial. The dose had to be exact. And he his research came up with nine milligrams per kilogram, but we actually recommend slightly less than that in the TNI protocol. We recommend five milligrams per kilogram because it is an iron inhibitor. So we're very careful not to inhibit iron too much now. Are you not recommending that I make kusha kappa? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was slightly excited by that, but no, I get it. Just to clarify that, so this green tea supplement is available through the TNI protocol, and and you can you can buy those those supplements, and it's got all the dosing information, etc. So don't everyone go making cups of green tea and uh, getting your child to to drink this through a straw. <laughs> tried a lot of really strong herbs but I find it really hard to drink green tea. <laughs> it's not the most palatable tea. I like something a bit sweet. So anyway, green tea at least for the average person. But yes, for a person with Down syndrome you want we're using very specific quantities and quality has to be very high. That was one of the you know one of one of the outcomes of his um of research was that it, you know, if the quality wasn't good, you weren't going to have, a, a, there wasn't going to be a benefit. Green tea is blocking the gene. But in some cases, if we know there's another gene called SOD1, which is overexpressed, sitting on chromosome 21, it's causing a lot of oxidative stress in the body. There's no known inhibitor of SOD1. We can't just give a supplement and block it because right. it doesn't exist. So what we do instead is we look at the pathway that SOD1, you know, carries out in the body or is it is influencing in the body and we we put things like selenium and vitamin E into the TNI protocol to ensure that our children are making enough of a substance that will regulate this pathway, to, to just put it plainly. So we are regulating the biochemistry every possible way we can, either by inhibiting genes or by making sure that our children have enough nutrition to cope with having these extra genes. It's so, so fascinating and so exciting. So, so there's that side of, of things. You've got, you know, supplements, you've got TNI program. Tell us now about what you would typically do and the side that you focus on. So is that the epigenetic, so diet and environment? 
Yeah, that is a really good question because I don't think a lot of people know what I do. That's <laughs> for me to tell them. It's interesting what I do. All right, so like I said, um, when a client comes to see me, the first thing I want to do, and then there's no pressure on parents by any means, but I want to make sure their genes are regulated because this is foundational stuff. If, gen- if the genetics are not being addressed with the TNI, TNI protocol, it makes it my job more difficult because the TNI protocol is it is supporting the immune system. It's making sure that the body is strong enough to prevent virus and bacteria from having their its crazy way in this child's body. Yeah. So if, if the child doesn't already have that support, I'm going to be floundering around trying to give them you know, beta-glucans and elderberry and astragalus and all these things that probably won't work because we haven't addressed the root cause of their child's immune issues, say, for example. Okay. So once I know that they've got that foundation in place, and look, it's different. Some parents come to me and say, look, we don't really want to start the TNI protocol just yet. And in that case, I say, all right, let's start with the basics and then, you know, we move on and do testing and then I wait till they're ready or... They often tell me if they've changed their mind and they want to start it. 99% of my clients are on the TNI protocol and they're just wanting help to, you know, un- to make sure that they're on it properly. Yeah. But, yes, getting back to what my job is, so it's really important for me to know that my children's genetics are being addressed. And then what I do is I offer them a, a series of, you know, naturopathic or integrative medicine-type tests, which includes stool testing, hair analysis, urine testing, and food sensitivity testing. And, you know, it's optional whether the parents do one of these to start with, one at a time, or whether they want to do all of them at once. But these tests are really giving us a look at the individual uh, metabolism. So, obviously, people who come to see me don't have children that are thriving and healthy. They come to see me because their child has something very serious going on. Right. And that can range from epilepsy to, uh, you know, poor growth and development, failure to thrive, to yeah. regression, to psychiatric conditions in adults, to uh, poor thyroid function, uh, autoimmune diseases. So most parents just come to me and say, the blood tests look really strange. I don't know what's going on. Can you help me? But I'm worried. So what I do is say to them, okay, let's get some basics in place. Let's make sure you've got the genetics supported. Let's get you on a really healthy diet. And the first thing I suggest is to go gluten-free, dairy-free. Now, the reason I say this is not just because of what we understand that, you know, these things cause inflammation in the body, but the the overriding reason is because gluten and dairy will inhibit iron absorption. And iron is crucial for our children. You know, iron deficiency is a global pandemic in children. You know, there are many children all over the world iron deficient, but in children with Down syndrome, the genetics do... makes it difficult for them to, you know, have really robust iron levels. Okay. And I know for a fact that if a child has good iron, they're going to have good growth and development because iron has a massive impact on the thyroid. Right. If a child has good iron levels, the thyroid is going to be super happy and functioning really well. And as soon as those iron levels drop, for whatever reason, the thyroid starts to struggle. And so nine times out of ten when someone comes to me with an elevated TSH, or thyroid out of balance, I'm saying to them, let's look at iron. Let's look at your blood test and see where your iron is at. Okay, are you on gluten and dairy? You need to come off them because they are the two major things that are going to inhibit iron in the body. If you want your child's thyroid to be optimal, you need to get over them. And that's a bit of a shock for a lot of people who have been eating gluten and dairy their whole lives. So I do need to sort of 
walk them through it and I'll often just say, look, if you've got a friend who's gluten and dairy-free, go and talk to them because they're often a great help. They'll help you find some nice gluten-free bread and some nice gluten-free pasta and some nice dairy, you know, plants, um, plant-based dairy alternatives. Yeah. But often parents notice a huge difference when their children come off gluten and dairy, you know, just because obviously the gut, there's a relief from in the, on the gut. The gut is not under stress and also because their iron is more available. And then I get them to add a whole lot of fruits and salads to the diet. You know, as a naturopath, what I mostly study these days is the benefits of a wide variety of fruits and salads on the gut. So it's not difficult to see that when you start eating a lot of really healthy raw foods, you actually do change your whole gut ecosystem within 24 hours. Wow. And it's the microbes in the gut that thrive on those raw fruits and salads. That's what they want for their own survival. The beneficial bacteria in the gut craves raw fruits and vegetables and salads to grow big and strong. Now, nine times out of ten when a client comes to me, their child has had some sort of medical intervention, whether it's an antibiotic, an anaesthetic, um, a drug medication, and that gut microbiome is disrupted. As soon as you give your child an antibiotic, you are disrupting the balance of flora in the gut and you are disrupting it in a way that is negative. There's a negative balance there between beneficial and and pathogenic bacteria and you are already on a trajectory which is not good for their health and development. And I really want to stress this because I know a lot of parents are aware of the side effects of antibiotics, but if your child is given an antibiotic at birth within the first 12 months of life, it is going to compromise their health and development in some way. And that's where I, you know, I would highly suggest that they see a naturopath, preferably someone who specialises in Down syndrome, and there are a couple of us out there now, uh, and get the test done. Do a stool test, do a urine test, because you can fix that, you can change it, you can improve it at a young age and you can make, ensure that they have good development. Yeah, that really makes makes sense to me. I mean, I do hear it a lot, right, that parents put their children on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. The reasoning of that, what you said about iron, has never been explained to me, and that makes a lot of a lot of sense. And also what you're saying about um, antibiotics. Now, I can't imagine there are many children with Down syndrome or young people with Down syndrome who have got to a stage in their life where they have been free from antibiotics or some sort of medicine for a prolonged period of time. Um, I know in our own case, you know, Kush struggles in winter, especially he's on a prophylactic antibiotic to help his chest. Because you're kind of faced with, we either went through winters where he was so ill that he wasn't in school, he wasn't out, he wasn't thriving, which impacts your development anyway, or you put him on medication to support his immune system so that he's able to develop and thrive but then you've got other drawbacks from being on the medication so actually knowing that there are other ways where we can support him so that he can potentially do both and we can also try and fix any harm done is really reassuring which I think a lot of people will be pleased to hear as well what's your thoughts on on meat because you know if we're talking about deficiencies particularly iron I mean meat and fish you know if we group that together Red meat. Red meat. I mean, there are sources of iron. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, you could get that from from those types of foods. What's what's your thoughts on, on that? 
Well, yes, that's a great question because as you can probably tell, you know, I am very sort of fundamental about iron. This is probably if I was going to do a PhD, it would be on iron levels. You know, this is what I sort of sit down at every concert and go, okay, I wonder what this child's iron levels are like. It has such a big impact on their growth and development. So to answer your question, look, I know I have several clients who are vegetarian and don't eat meat, and that's a personal preference, and I'm never going to sit there and say, you need to start eating meat, you know. But what I will say is, you know, if the child has low iron, I will do everything I possibly can to help get those iron levels up without the use of red meat. Obviously, red meat is an instant form of heme iron that goes straight into the body and, you know, can benefit the iron levels pretty quickly. But, you know, we have a lot of, you know, the good thing about being a naturopath is we have a lot of tools in our toolkit. You can, you know, you can try giving them a whole lot of, other foods which are rich in iron, uh, including, you know, green leafy vegetables and prunes and chia seeds and, you know, legumes. And also there are supplements that will help to ensure that their body is, uh, that they have access to iron themselves. You know, I just work with the client on whatever they choose, I, I help them with. But obviously, knowing that our children already have compromised iron levels, it makes it a bit easier for them, probably for the family if they're eating some sort of meat. I mean, in terms of chicken and fish, you know, I suppose they're getting a meat, a bit of meat from everything. Um, but, re- you know, red meat is, if child is seriously anemic, it would be the beef liver that I would be <laughs> suggesting and recommending. You know, that is the richest known source of meat, of iron source of meat. Is it ever too too late to introduce these sort of support into the diet to stop gluten, dairy, etc.? Like if you've got a an older child, young adult, is it ever too late to start something like this? It is never too late, but that is a million dollar question because there have been studies done on interventions like vitamin E and green tea in adults with Down syndrome, and they were not effective in adults, in older adults. Right. Whereas they were very effective prenatally or at birth. So what you find is the more you read and sift through the research, the more it's leaning towards saying you need to address the genetics and the epigenetics as soon as absolutely possible, (laughs) whether that's prenatally or whether that's 10 years of age or 20 years of age. You know, but there's, it seems to me that what the research is saying is that an adult with Down syndrome who is maybe in their 30s or 40s may not respond to these supplements like a, a newborn because, you know, there's a massive difference in growth there, you know. Yeah, of course. A brain is developing 75% its, its potential in the first year of life. Yeah. So if you can intervene with these supplements in these dietary interventions at birth, <laughs> Prenatal is optimal. In fact, some of the most recent research into Down syndrome interventions is looking at prenatal interventions now and um, giving things to mother prenatally. But in fact, I was just reading some research the other day that said when you have a diagnosis of a trisomy 21 birth, you have a 28-week window there to optimise their brain growth and development. Wow. I mean, I wish yeah. someone had have told me that when I was pregnant. But is that a missed opportunity? I don't know. But, you know, that's I, I feel as though that's where the research is now headed. Yeah, 100%. Should... To add to your question, no, there are adults who've started the TNI protocol, particularly if they're in their 20s, they're still making big changes and still improving and we, ha- we are re- reversing regression and things like that. So it's, it really, yeah, 
there's no, you have to give it a try if you feel the urge to do it. Absolutely. But that's kind of what you were saying, you know, if someone contacts you and you had a consultation and that's where, you you know, you typically start looking at their picture, you know, blood, stool, et cetera, et cetera. And then you'd recommend supplements, TNI, and then, you know, diet. How do you monitor and check progress? Like what's your measure of success? Yeah, so often follow-up testing is a measure of success. I mean, stool testing is pretty expensive. It's not the sort of thing I expect parents to get every six months it's really just giving me a baseline when we do a stool test of where that child is at and then often it's you know it's just observation signs and symptoms you know it's interesting even after practicing for many years signs and symptoms that our children are exhibiting play a huge part in my treatment and my diagnosis of what they're doing so you know for example whenever a client comes to see me They may be on thyroid medication, but I will still ask them, is your child cold? Do they have dry skin? Are they constipated? Do they have fine hair? And those symptoms are telling me more about the thyroid function than the fact that they're on a thyroid medication and that the blood tests might look good. Yeah. Yeah. But we potentially, as parents, just take as gospel as being part of our child. Like you mentioned there, you know, dry skin, fine hair. I might not talk twice about that, but actually that could tell you quite a lot. And you can absolutely change that. You know, it's if that's a symptom of hypothyroidism, you need to look at why the thyroid is hypo. You know, and I think one of the biggest misperceptions in our community is that once you get your, thi- your child on the thyroid medication, that's the magic bullet. <laughs> you don't have to do any more hard work. And it's so far from the truth because I see so many children on thyroid meds who have cold hands, constipation, thin hair and dry skin. And I'm sitting there saying, do you realise your child has symptoms of hypothyroidism? And the parents go, oh, yeah, you know. (laughs) And I'm saying, well, maybe we need to dive a bit deeper and maybe we need to look at why the thyroid meds aren't working. Are you on the right dose? Does your child have gut issues that are making it difficult for those thyroid medications to be metabolised properly? Because... Levothyroxine, which is T4, is, is, has to go into the gut and is metabolized by the gut bacteria to make active T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. If your child has gut issues uh, or liver issues, you're probably not going to be making that T3, even though you're on thyroid meds. Over here, I don't think we even get, we have to actually ask the pediatrician to test the T3. We don't get that without yeah. asking. And even when you ask, I've always had pushback. Yeah, that's right. So I think the NHS sort of prides itself on uh, limiting blood testing, doesn't it? But it doesn't really help when you've got a child with Down syndrome and you want a thyroid panel. I actually have some clients in the UK who travel to Europe to get the blood test every year um, because they can get so many blood tests in Eastern Europe. (laughs) So uh, I know how difficult it is. It must be very frustrating. But, I mean, that's where the you know, the more non-traditional testing can be of, a, of benefit because while I can't use it as a diagnostic tool, I can see from a hair analysis whether the thyroid looks fast or slow. And I can see whether from a hair analysis whether you have all the mineral cofactors in place that the thyroid needs. For yeah. example, you know, your child's zinc levels good, do their selenium levels look good, do their iron levels look good. So even, you know, when parents, can't, even if they can't get a full of blood tests i sort of say to them don't worry we'll look at these other tests and we'll work on what we can see uh, showing up in the other tests yeah things like obviously thyroid insomnia constipation reflux i mean the amount of 
issues that you tackle is is really amazing. The list is is pretty endless, and I assume you know you've got success stories covering the whole the whole piece. Yeah, well, I mean, this is what clients come to me about for five years now. It's all the same things, really. So you get, you know, that's what the benefit of specialising is: is that you see, you start seeing patterns, and you start to see okay, this child has reflux. We start to do research on the patterns. So you build up, you know, I've built up now a a database of research on reflux, on sleep apnea, on, you know, um, all things that are specific to our children. So someone comes along and wants me to treat them, you know, um, a a 70-year-old woman wants me to treat them for rheumatoid arthritis. So I really have to go back and look through some old naturopathic notes because I'm not specialised in that, you know, special in all the things that are common to children with Down syndrome. And yes, absolutely, you can change, you can treat reflux, you can treat sleep apnea and have a child that sleeps like a baby. You can treat failure to thrive and have a child that's growing and developing. You can treat anything and everything, you know. And do you, obviously you're you're based in in sunny Australia, do you see children across the globe and how, how might that work? Across the globe. So I have some clients in Patagonia, I have clients in Kazakhstan, <laughs> I have clients in obviously the UK and in Ireland and I have clients all over the US, in South America obviously, all over Australia. People just find my website and contact me from anywhere and everywhere and you know everybody has access to Skype and Zoom so we just make an appointment and we jump on and that's it. You've been doing the uh, appointments via video calls a long time before the pandemic. <laughs> I have. And you know now I'm actually training other naturopaths to get online. So in Australia, we're just naturopaths, chiropractors and osteopaths, all the alternative health practitioners have just been mandated the vaccine. Um, so they can't see people face to face if they're not vaccinated. And in fact, I think in two days time, they have to have their first vaccine. So there's been a bit of a, a fear and panic running through the community. So I sort of said, look, I've been, I put out a bit of a post saying I've been online for, for five years now if anyone wants help. And, yeah, I got a huge response. My Facebook blew up because all these naturopaths are desperate to get online now. Of course. Absolutely. So tell people where, where they can find you. So the easiest place to find me is probably through my website, which is www.theconsciouspod, if you can spell that, .com. I will link it as well to this and put it in the in the blurb. Yeah, and then there's just there's a contact form on my website. That's probably the easiest way to find me. There are some Facebook groups I'm associated with, the Trisomy 21. Well, actually, it's actually just moved to MeWe now. We've abandoned Facebook because of its lack of privacy and we've moved on to MeWe. Um, and the name of the group has changed. I think it might be targeted nutritional intervention now, but you should be, if you contact me, I will send you a link to joining the groups. So, yeah, you can contact me through my website. Honestly, it's, I mean, it's such an eye-opener and yeah. something that I think is massively overlooked by all of us. And I think the UK are massively behind Australia, definitely, and um, America as well in terms of this type of support for our kids. So I, I think everyone will find this really, really helpful. Mm. I certainly have. And I think we need to relook at a few things as well for our little Kush. Yeah, um, and update, update our uh, protocol that, that we're using for him. Now, obviously as well, I guess there will be a lot of sceptics amongst the community and people listening. You know, do you get pushback from kind of 
non-believers and, and what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, I haven't actually heard any pushback for years. And the first thing that springs to my mind is that I, I do remember one woman from years ago giving me a lot of pushback. And then a couple of years later, she was on the Trisomy 21 research group researching all the supplements. So, I mean, I guess my answer is I did a talk in uh, Ireland a few years ago. I, I put together uh, basically a you know, a talk that went for about four hours. It had I had nine hundred slides that I put together in this present for this presentation. The majority of those were evidence based research papers from medical journals which described either the complex biochemistry that's occurring in people with Down syndrome or looking at the interventions. Now there were nine hundred slides in that talk. If someone can come to me with nine hundred slides of pushback and to convince me to have a conversation with them that this is not the way of the future and that it's not benefiting our children and it's not where science and medicine are at, um, I would be very happy to sit down and have a conversation with them. But, you know, to me, the, it's overwhelming. The research is overwhelmingly in favour of, you know, supplementing our children with, you know, nutrients and phytonutrients and cleaning up their diet, making sure they're getting therapy, good therapy. That's also foundational support. And... I mean yeah, just don't hear a pushback much anymore, you know. I think it's also, as you say, there's this overwhelming wave of yeah. support and interest with regards to nutrition yeah. and the impact of, just on everyone, on like adults, typical adults. And so I think, you know. Support, it's, it's easier now, isn't it? Yeah. So like going gluten-free, going dairy-free, I think, you know, even five years ago would be really quite difficult and not support, you know, you, going to a restaurant, for example, you'd be like, well, what am I going to eat? I'll just have salad. Uh, whereas yeah. now yeah. it's kind yeah. of yeah. the first thing you see. And if you don't want that, you kind of feel a bit like, well, actually, I don't want gluten-free or, or, or I want normal normal cow's milk, please. <laughs> and you're kind of the minority one asking. It's so true. It's like a global trend towards, you know, wellness. Everybody wants to be well. People don't want to age. They want to be healthy. They want to keep running their business and their lifestyle, you know, at a good, at a good pace. Uh, and it's the same with our kids. We want our kids to be healthy. And, yes, it's much easier now. You can go to a pizzeria and get a gluten-free pizza now without having to sort of, you know, argue with the owner. <laughs> Whereas it probably was really difficult 10 years ago to do that. So, yeah, globally, we're the whole healthcare system is transforming. Totally. 100%. You know, I when I did this talk, which was about four years ago, I did a Google search for the word functional medicine, which is the type of practitioner I, I am, you know, looking at the root cause of disease. Yeah. And I, from memory, came up with about six, came up with about 500,000 Google results for functional medicine, if you put that in. I did another search the other day, knowing I was going to talk to you, and it's now up to 608 million results on Google, if you put in the word functional medicine. So that was in four or five years that has exploded. You know, people are so much more aware now of looking at the root cause of disease, finding someone who can help you work on your gut and your diet, knowing the effect that the gut has on your whole biochemistry. Yeah. And in our case, you know, we're also having to work with genetics, but genetics has become a big part of any practitioner's work now, just looking at typical genes as well. So we're definitely, you know, this, is the, this is the way wellness is headed and it's not going backwards. <laughs> we know too much about genetics now. We know what they do. It's such an opportunity and a missed opportunity for many, but hopefully this will open a lot of, of minds. Now, to end our 
podcast, we always end by asking three questions. I'm not sure if you know. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and we want you to finish, uh, to complete the sentence. So number one, to the skeptics amongst us, if you could encourage someone to try one new thing, what would it be? I would definitely have to say the Nutrivine Daily Supplement. That is like the basic, I mean, it looks like a basic multivitamin. And in some ways it, it is, it's giving our children a whole lot of nutrients, but it's, I would get in trouble for saying that because it's so much more than that. It is actually targeting gene overdose in people with Down syndrome. And it is addressing, if I, I don't want to sound too long-winded, but it is addressing things, everything from poor collagen formation yeah. because it contains certain nutrients that help to support collagen production. It is supporting the thyroid because it contains all the thyroid cofactors. It supports the production of glutathione and reduction of oxidative stress, which is one of the side effects of one of the genes on the chromosome on the, on the 21. It's supporting methylation with, with the B12 and the folate, which is sometimes compromised. In, it is compromised in children with Down syndrome. So it's addressing so many different pathways and, you know, endocrine system, systems in the body that that would have to be the number one place. I Brilliant. think we'll, we'll vouch for that as well, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> number two, the best thing about being Suri's mum is? Oh, Suri, is, she just surprises us and astonishes us every day. You know, we, we watched her at birth in the NICU, hooked up to all the machines, a little slightly underweight <laughs> baby grow into, you know, a really intelligent, funny, adorable little doll that she is. You know, she's... That's beautiful. And then lastly... If you could encourage someone to change one thing about their environment, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Well, our homes are considered to be the most toxic environments that we're exposed to. You don't stop to think about that, but just... You know, getting rid of plastic and starting to use glass containers instead of plastics. Plastic leaches into our food and then it's a hormone disruptor. Just stop using sprays around the house. Things like air fresheners and mosquito repellents are probably full of chemicals and they're, you know, huge, hugely disrupting our biochemistry. Um, start using essential oils to clean the house. You know, check your house for mould. And if you do have mould, you know, essential oils are really amazing at getting rid of mould. But mould can have a big impact on a person's health as well. Yeah. Yeah, look at your home. Just look around your home and get rid of any chemicals, any plastics, any mould, anything that smells weird or anything that you think is not conducive. Try and, try and be as natural as possible. Gabby, thank you so much. Thank you. Honestly, like this has been such a great chat. I could probably talk to you for hours. I'm so glad that, that we were able to make this happen. So yeah, I really, really appreciate your time. And I, you know, we will link all your information and I really hope people feel empowered to get in touch with you. And if not, you know, just at least look look up your website because there's a load of information on there that is that is really helpful so people can find out a bit more. So thank you. Uh, yeah, and I just want to say how grateful I am for you've interviewed me and you've allowed me to get these messages across keep in touch definitely we're definitely I'm so glad that you've opened this pandora's box because you know it's a good box to open and i think like you said people what parents are asking for it and parents are the ones who know the best i always say to my my to the parents of the children that i treat you know the client the clients i see i always tell the mums 
you're you're intuitive. You know what's going on. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do, because uh, mums are super intuitive and dads, and dads are too. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Very intuitive. I love you to meet you guys. You've been really easy to talk to, which is great. Oh, oh you too, Gabby. <laughs> Thank you so much, and have a have a great day. Yeah, yeah. I can sleep now. All right. We'll Coffee and Chromosomes is brought to you by the charity Wouldn't Change a Thing creating a world where negative perceptions of Down syndrome are a thing of the past. If you'd like to hear about a particular topic or from a certain individual, email us at podcast at wouldn'tchangeathing.org.